Good morning. It's me. It's not Pastor Jim. They're returning on Tuesday from two weeks at Naples, as many of you know. Uh, it's hot down there. And restaurant eating is more expensive than it has been in the past. Uh, all CS may clear to let us know that. So... Uh, a few things before we actually get into the text. Uh, uh, beautiful day, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. Uh, the weather is beautiful, but it's more beautiful because you're here, and I'm so grateful that you're here. Uh, always am grateful to see Sunday morning. Uh, not just our time here, but then my time with the youth afterwards. But it's also a beautiful morning because uh, we have some people here. Uh, one person in particular who's just visiting. I'll tell you about him in a moment. And then a couple that uh, we had the privilege for years to have a part of our fellowship. And then they moved away to Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, my goodness. Uh, they knew they had to move. I tried to get them just to move from Vancouver to Tigert. But they said that wasn't far enough. I said, but I can't go with you. They said, tough. So they moved to Alabama. We have stayed in contact. We're very much in contact the first year. While they were in Alabama with, well, that first week, their son was born. My goodness, that's been what now? Three years, two years, two years they've been gone. Uh, Rebecca and Nathaniel Hardy, they're back home for a few days, so if you get a chance, if you remember, say hi to them. If you don't know them or don't remember them, that's okay. I've already told them, I've already told you their names, so you can pretend that you're long-lost friends. <laughs> so take some time, greet them, let them hear. The other person I want to recognize this morning as we get started is uh, a friend of mine that uh, we developed a friendship while I was working at Lifeway, and he was the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Longview. And uh, he and I would talk on the phone. He would say, I need this book. I would go find the book. I would find a bunch of books so that he could lead different studies of it. And eventually what happened there was he then was called as their senior pastor. How many years ago now? Almost six years ago. And uh, in the process, this, this past year, he's earned his doctorate degree. So I can't just call him Cameron anymore. I have to call him Dr. Williams. So, um, but we are blessed this morning uh, from the First Baptist Church of Longview to have their senior pastor visiting us, Cameron Williams. Now, for those of you in, uh, who've read the Left Behind series, this is who it was taken. No, it wasn't. See? Somebody clapped. I like that. Uh, I do want to pray before we get started uh, for a couple things. Uh, people in need. Uh, some of you may remember Thomas and Kylie uh, Johnson, who attended our church, who uh, moved to Estacada a few years back. Uh, the shirt that David's wearing, that was uh, their business, New Creations, where they would make embroidered shirts for people. Um, Kylie discovered that she has a pretty aggressive cancer. And so I want to pray for her this morning and Thomas 
as uh, they begin to consider what treatments are necessary. Along with that, we'll keep in prayer Beth's mom. And uh, the Lord, she, she tarries on, doesn't she? So, and then the other one we want to pray for is uh, Lauren Canari. Uh, her father suddenly passed away a little over a week ago uh, of a heart attack. And so they're going to have the services for him uh, next week. And uh, a couple of our people, Becky and uh, Kim Dixon, will be going representing us, think, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. But we can pray for Lauren, their family, as uh, they recover from the grief of losing a dear father. Okay. So let's take a few moments. Lift your own hearts to God. First uh, Peter says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the one who is so compassionate, who considers our needs and fulfills them, who looks over us and provides, who gives and gives and gives graciously to those who don't deserve to me. We come to you with our request. We come to you with our pain, our hurt, our discouragements, our anger. We come to you to give us peace. Knowing that your will is being accomplished in our lives. And that our hope has been secured through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, for those that we have uh, spoken about this morning, we pray. We pray for your comfort for Thomas and Kylie, for Kylie especially. Lord, we ask that you might heal her. We pray the same for Beth's mother. Watch over her, strengthen her in this decision that she's made. Uh, Lord, keep her, knowing that her faith and her hope is in you as well. For Lauren and Mark and for their family, uh, for Lauren's mother, we pray for comfort. Uh, thank you for this dear man who was a father and a husband, a grandfather. Lord, thank you for what he leaves in a legacy. And Lord, thank you for what he has, the joy in knowing you. Watch over this family. Now as we look into your word, we pray that it will comfort. We ask that it would convict so that we may experience the fullness of the joy it is to know you. Thank you for our salvation that is eternal, beginning today and through ever, through forever. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So take your Bibles. Turn to Psalm chapter 17. And while you're turning there, I'll, I'll give you there's a, some background to what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, on December 26th of this past year, 22, um, Christy and I were in Roseburg like we normally are. Uh, visiting Alex Faith and the boys. 
we're in our hotel getting ready. And while Christy is getting ready, I pull out my Bible to do my morning devotions. And I'm reading Psalm, this Psalm, Psalm 17. And uh, as I read through the Psalm, uh, as you see there in, in yours, it says it's a prayer of David. Uh, and as I read through it, it became very apparent what this was a prayer of. It was more than just simply uh, a normal prayer of praise and thanksgiving and supplication and petition. There's something deep going on here. And when you read it, you see that David, this is more, this is a cry for help. This is David at one of those episodes in his life where he's on the run. It, it could either be that first time when King Saul, out of pure jealousy, realizing that this young man, David, was gathering a following and soon could rise up and take the throne from him. Not realizing until the end that David's heart was such that he would never touch the one that God had anointed to be king. So it could be in one of those times where he is hiding out in, in a cavern, in a cave, or, or even when he was in Gath and he was pretending to be mad so that he might be preserved, protected. He's crying out to God. Could be the time with Absalom, his son, who rose up against him and turned the people against him, made a mockery of his throne, and sent David at the age of 60. I can't imagine my age running for his life again and crying out to God for protection, for deliverance. And so we read through this, and I want to just go through this quickly because I want you to see the full picture of this psalm first. And so we see this cry of David for protection. And we see in verses 1 and 2, David's predicament. He says, Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. Let your presence lift my vindication. Come. Let your eyes behold the right. Look down on me, God. Do you sometimes feel like God isn't looking down on you? Does it feel like whatever you're running from, that not only you're running from that, but that God has turned a blind eye to you? Look at my situation, God. It's just turned to me. Then his defense his defense, oh, you've tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regards to the work of man by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. Even the righteous sometimes are on the run. Even those who are the closest to God are sometimes in need of His deliverance and His rescue. Here David, the man after God's own heart, stands in the presence of God saying, please, oh please, oh please, 
look at me. I'm yours. Rescue me. Then we have David's plea. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words wondrously. Show your steadfast love. O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversary at your right hand, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. Oh, come to me, Lord. Do you notice this? I will call upon you. It's not that you might answer me. It's you will answer me. And that's the thing I want you to understand about God and your relationship with the Lord. It is so stayed that it's not a matter of if God will come to your aid. It's only a matter of when God will come to your aid. Many of you have experienced that. Many of you have gone through periods in your life where it seems like been in the right moment, at the right time, like Joseph in prison. God delivers, doesn't he? God shows up. Then David acknowledges his adversary when he writes, they close their heart to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They've set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in the ambush. Whatever's pursuing you, Whatever has captivated you, whatever has placed their claws around you, it hurts. Sometimes it seems impossible that you will be delivered. Sometimes it seems like this may be the end. It's gloom. It's doom. But realize this. The God who created the heavens and the earth is the God that David is crying out to. He is the omnipotent, all-powerful God. No one, nothing thwarts God's work in your life. I'm going to give you something theological right now. Don't be surprised. Nothing that happens in your life Nothing that has ever happened, and you know this from looking backwards, but nothing that is happening in your life now or nothing that will ever happen in your life in the future that is outside God's will. Youth group, we've been looking at just the first chapter of First Peter. Why just the first chapter? Because I'm slow. But there's one word that just keeps reverberating, reverberating. As I read through that verse, it's this word foreknowledge. 
that you hear you had this dispersed group of Jewish believers literally lifted up from their homes in Israel and scattered. And it says, according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, wait a minute. Literally, God, from his position back in history, all the way, all the way, all the way, all the way back with his ability to know and to understand everything that's going to transpire in history. There's nothing in history that's going to take God by surprise. There's nothing that ever has taken him by surprise. God is at work, actively working, weaving his way through the events of history to bring about his purposes. And for these Jewish believers, his purpose was to use this event by these Romans to displace them from their comfort of their homes in Israel with family and friends and move them here for two purposes, it says. For obedience to the command of Jesus Christ. What was that? It's the Great Commission. He literally lifted them up to move them here so that Gentiles and other Jews were to hear the glorious news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and be saved. And then also for their own purification, their own sanctification. So my point there that I'm trying to get across to you, nothing is taking you by surprise. God knows what's going on and he uses these things for his greater purpose in your life. It's not easy. It's necessary. And then David cries out for his deliverance. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portions is in this life. You fill their womb with treasures. They are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, as for me. I shall behold your face in righteousness. And when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. David's recognizing deliverance will come. Uh, That's the joyful thing about Christians. Deliverance comes, always comes, always comes. It comes either in the immediate, in the present, in this life. And restoration happens of some point or some, but something happens that there is deliverance sometimes. On the other hand, sometimes we give our lives up. And God uses that event to deliver us. Death is never, never, never the end of life. Death is always for us, especially the beginning of our true life. Remember, I've said time and time again, this life is nothing but the preface of the book. The pages of the book have not been written yet. 
Your story is yet to come. That's Psalm 17. But there's something more going on in this orchard, this orchard of God's protection. There's something there in the middle of this orchard that I don't want you, and this is the most important part of this message today. There's something there. There is a tree in the midst of this orchard, and on this tree, there's a piece of fruit. There's an apple. David cries out to God in verse 8, and he says, Guard me as the apple of your eye. Immediately we run and we think, okay, this is about the love of God, and it is. But too often, we stop the love of God. It's simply His compassion. And God is a compassionate God. In fact, we see the Lord Jesus Christ say this. It says in Matthew 9, 35 to 39, And Jesus went throughout all of the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And of course, in David's predicament here in Psalm 17, yes, he is making a plea to a God who cares. And that's what compassion is. Compassion is love that is bent upon a need that someone has. Cast all your cares upon me. Cast all your anxieties upon me because I care for you, Peter writes. Yes, Jesus is very compassionate. That's not what Psalm 17 is getting at. The question I want to ask you, why would David even go to God? Was this strictly because of what God's able to do? Was it because God, being a righteous God, would vindicate him? I think there's something deeper and even deeper below that. I think there's something about the love of God that we don't talk much about. In fact, we don't talk any about. And this has been following me since December 26. This thought will not let go of my mind and my heart that I am the apple of God's eye. His love goes beyond compassion to affection. God desires me. He desires you. There is no one who has lived, is living, or ever will live who will have the same desire for you that God does. He loves you affectionately. He wants you. How do I know that? How do I know that? Well, first, A.F. Kirkpatrick in his commentary says this. When referring to this statement, the apple of my eye is an emblem of that which is the tenderest and dearest and therefore guarded with the most jealous care. 
With the phrases that most describe God's affection towards us, few best picture it any better than this phrase, the apple of my eye. Just as per, a person will blink, bat the eyelid, or outright cover his eyes when threatened, so is how precious we are to our Creator and Savior. It is more than compassion. It is an affection, a deep and earnest desire for us. So great is desire that David cries out for God's intentional protection as he flees for his life. The creator God is intimately close with us humans and in deeper in his desires for those he has redeemed. It isn't a matter of if we should ever forget his affection for us, but when. It is at these moments we cry out to the Savior in faith, knowing and believing that any uh, at any who exists, only God has shown how deep and enduring his love is for us. How do I know he loves us? You see, it is the Lord who initiates our relationship with him. We were created to know him, to love him, to have fellowship with him. Listen to this. In Psalm 103 through 6, it says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for God is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. David says this in Psalm 8, When I looked at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set into place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you take care of him? That's affection. You see, we find our value in a creator who designed us. We find our purpose in the desires of a God who made us. We find meaning, and we only find meaning when we acknowledge and we receive his great love. Nothing else matters in life outside the love of God. And it's the love of God that helps me understand the things that matter in life. He is our creator, and this creator loves us dearly. But even more than that, that is, that is, that is one level. There's a whole other level because he is also our savior. He is also the one who brings us, reconciles us with himself through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. In Ephesians, Paul writes about the blessings of God and he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose, even as he chose us in him. Let's get this. Before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In other words, the purpose and the plans of our redemption was already a part of God's 
whole providential work even before he said, let there be light. That we would be able to stand in his presence, not on our own righteousness, but on the righteousness of him who died. That we stand blameless and holy because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. His death, his resurrection cleanses me from all iniquity so that I might be able to stand in his presence to call out to him with a clear conscience because of what Jesus has done. But even more than that, Paul goes on to say, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Do do, do you understand the greatness of his love and our salvation? That more than just simply our sins have been covered and the penalty has been cared for, you and I are literally now the sons and daughters of the Most High God. Do you see the depths of his love towards you that more than just taking away the penalty of your sin, he makes you his child? It's overwhelming. We're so unworthy. And yet sometimes I think we think God owes us something. All you become is a son or a daughter of the Most High God. You've gotten everything. Let me remind you of what we once were. The next set of verses says, We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with uh, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. By grace, we have been saved. Nothing of ourselves, no work, no potential, simply the love of God. Just as God initiated the relationship, it is God who pursues this relationship. Jesus tells the parable of of the shepherd and the sheep. He says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one who went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should not perish. God did not want you to perish. The great shepherd came and gave his life. He pursued you. No one can come to me unless the Father, Jesus says, who sent me draws them. 
Stop and think about that for a moment. Every one of you in this room who have and know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and are his sons and daughters, God called you. He pursued you. This comes back to his, his desire is for you. It is the Lord who paid the price for our relationship with him. Romans 5, 6 through 11 says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. You understand what he's saying there? It's rare for anybody to give their life for somebody. Maybe a good person would die for another good person. But who would die for a dirty, filthy sinner? But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is what I'm saying. It's more than just simply compassion because of what is said next. Therefore, since we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by the, from the wrath of God by him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled. The relation, it's relational. We are reconciled to God by the death of his son. How much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Here's the thing I'm going to tell you. If your acceptance of Jesus Christ was nothing more than receiving his redemptive work for the forgiveness of sins and you were not reconciled in a relationship with him, then you are not saved. The aim of redemption is restoration and at the heart of restoration is a reconciled relationship with the God of the universe who loves us. Redemption always results in reconciliation. Always. It is also the Lord who preserves our relationship with him. The psalmist writes, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and earth. He will not let your foot be moved he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. From where does my help come? comes from you, almighty God, who loves me. It is he who will keep my going out and my coming in forever. And then it is the Lord who is pleased with our relationship with him. You ever thought about that? The thing that brings God the greatest pleasure, the thing that blesses his heart more than anything else, is your love returned to him? 
is your closeness to him. That's what blesses him. Oh, there's so many things in the world that takes place and in the universe that takes place. There's so many things in history that takes place to the glory of God. But the thing that touches the heart of God is our relationship with him. Psalm 149 says, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, make melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Did you get that? He takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. How much does God truly love you? I want you to listen to a song with me. A song many of you know, but I want you to listen to it. And I want you to really stop for a moment and think about the desire of God that his affection is on you. He loves you. Desperately, continually, he loves you.
I'm tired. I don't know what you hear what I'm about to say. I, I, it's not enough. I want more. My reading the Bible, my daily devotions, my Bible studies, the exegetical methods, the papers, the theological discourses and discussions, the readings beyond the Bible, it's not enough. I've got to hear him with my eyes. I've got to go deeper than what the text is saying. I've got to see, I've got to hear him. Hear his love as he describes for me who he is. Hear him as he helps me understand who I am, who I need to be. I got to read the Bible with eyes and hear him say, I love you. My prayers have got to be more than just simply the list that I pray for. Lord, please help. 
please deliver, please heal. They've got to be more. It's got to be more than just thank you, Lord, for this food. I've got to tell him the depths of my heart. I've got to tell him my pain, my hurt. I've got to tell him my joy. I've got to show him I'm happy with who he is with me. Without ceasing. He's not simply relegated to a time. It's moment by moment. Every waking hour. And even when I sleep. I gotta have more with this church. You are his people. No longer can it be the simple pass through the foyer on a Sunday morning. Hi, how you doing? As I rush to the next place. I've got to care about you the way Jesus cares. I've got to love. I've got to go deeper with you. I've got to come alongside you to support you to strengthen you, sometimes to warn you and even confront you because you need to know that God loves you through my love for you. The event on Sunday morning cannot ever be enough. And it's not about days and days, but it is about us knowing and reaching out and truly truly loving each other. The Apostle Paul, in looking over his vita of all that he had accomplished as a Jewish scholar and Pharisee, his lineage, the whole works, he was, if anyone had a place and a position. It was the Apostle Paul. He writes this. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because it's the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, as a response to that message and uh, just thinking about the depth of God's love for us, um, we're going to close with probably the best song I can think of uh, on the topic of God's love. Um, So we're going to sing how deep the Father's love for us before we go. So let's stand together and... uh, And the ushers are going to pass around an offering plate for this morning. Um, If you're just visiting today, we like to say, 
don't feel obligated to, to leave anything in the plate. We're just glad to have you here. And, uh, but let's watch out for that plate as it comes by so we can pass it through. And, uh, and let's just praise the Father for um, his immense love for us and, uh, um, and just seek him with all of our hearts together.
Amen. Well, many of you, speaking of the love of God and the care that he has for all of his creation, many of you have heard on the news of Maui, the island of Maui, and how there's over 60 or 70 dead, many 93, and many fires and kind of burning. Um, just that's their place of, of, of not only life, but also livelihood. So why don't we say a prayer for them in addition to kind of closing out prayer for, for, for us and our community. Um, just one quick announcement. If you are in Lucas Howard's Adult Bible Fellowship, he's on vacation. And um, I'll be substituting teaching for Mike and Lori and Greg and Angela. So please come over to the marriage room, which is that way. Uh, because I'm going to teach both classes at once. I can be in two places at once. It's fantastic as long as you make the other place go over to where I am. So there's a sign on the door. Um, let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we want to thank you, Lord, for your love, which Pastor John uh, deeply and thoroughly uh, preached from your word. Uh, we thank you that um, in times of great joy, it's, it's easy to relate to your love for us. And in times of great sorrow, it's hard. And so we pray in agreement with those who are praying on, on, on the island of Maui. We pray for those who have lost loved ones, lost their way of making a living, uh, lost certain things that were historically meaningful to them. And we just think, Lord God, that that could be us. Uh, they're, they're no less or better than us. They're just people. But you love them. And we pray for comfort, for restoration, and for salvation for them. We pray for us, Lord, as a community of believers that you would teach us uh, to really, as Pastor John just taught us, to, to really meditate and reflect on the love you have for us this week. Um, and let that be the starting point from the way we love you and love 